0: Um, so good morning, <laughs> um, the message this morning is not going to be highly profound, but it's more about iron sharpening iron, and like in Hebrews it says, you consider how we can spur one another on to love and good works, so that's, that's what it is. Um, as I did my normal walk along the riverbank, uh, musing and talking with the Lord, I It was a sunny day, and I looked down, and there was this really big, fat worm. And it had crawled out of the grass, and it was going over the path. And I thought as I walked past, gosh, that's a pity. It's going to die. And um, I kept walking. And the further I walked away, the the stronger the conviction of, you need to go back and save it. I thought, don't be so silly. It's just a worm. And there's a lady coming toward me walking her dogs, and I thought, she'll just think I'm stupid. Going back in here and hunting for a worm. But I kept walking, and in the end, I just could, I had to turn around. So I went back, picked up the worm, and I put it back into the grass where it could actually find a safe place. And as soon as I did that, there was a small voice that said to me, I want you to notice. I want you to notice the people that I put on your path. So two days later, I was out walking again. It had been raining overnight. And you know what happens when it rains, eh? Lots of worms come out. And I walked on the path and looked down. Horrors. God, don't tell me I have to pick up all these worms. (laughs) But I I just got that feeling of, I want you to see the people in need that I place on your path. You don't have to attend to everybody. It can be so overwhelming, but who I actually give you the conviction to attend to. That's good. That's good. Today I want to look at the idea of really seeing somebody. Looking and then looking again and seeing what you can do. Jesus is a wonderful example of how he saw people and met their need. And I want to take the license of looking through someone's eyes who Jesus saw. I've heard he's coming through Jericho today. When I hear that commotion, I'm going to leave my tax booth. I'm going to put the money I've already collected into my breast pocket for safekeeping. Don't know how I'm gonna see this bloke. It's such a pain being so short. No one's gonna make way for me. They hate me, these people. Don't blame them, but you know what? I've worked hard for my job. I put a bid in, I was the highest bidder, and I've got to inflate the tax just a little. He's coming. Look at all those people jostling. Okay, I've got the smarts. I'm going to run to that sycamore tree over there and climb it. (laughs) That'll be funny, seeing a Middle Eastern man not only running but climbing in a robe. Who cares? My reputation is in tatters anyway with these people. If I go quick enough, I'll be able to get the best view and in actual fact, no one might see me. I wonder if what I've heard about this guy, this Jesus, is true. I wonder if this Jesus would accept me. No one else has. I wonder if this Jesus would love me. No one else has. Oh, they pretend to, but it's just really for the benefits. I've heard he's a friend of sinners, robbers, murderers, maybe tax collectors. What? What? Was that my name? Zacchaeus? Is there another Zacchaeus around here? No. His eyes. His eyes are of love and not hate. His his eyes are full of compassion and not condemnation. His eyes are full of acceptance and not judgment. I know, I see you all looking up at me. I know you think I'm scum. But he called my name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. I can't refuse that, even if you think I should. You know what? I didn't do the looking. I was just peeking through the leaves. It was him who saw me. What did Zac see in Jesus that made him believe that Jesus was there for him? Could it have been that he saw Jesus offering himself, offering his reputation to be with a sinner, an outcast of society, someone who was not allowed to actually worship in the synagogue? Did he see a Jesus offering his time? Did he see a Jesus giving him honour in front of all those that hated him? Did he feel acceptance? He sure did. He hopped down from that tree quick smart. You see, Jesus looked he saw Zacchaeus in the tree and then he looked again. He actually stopped and attended to him. I'm sure most of you have actually seen the adverts on TV with specsavers. savers. <coughs> the guy running down the beach thinking he was going to save a kid only to come back with a seal in his arms. Or the old couple, I love this one, the old couple sitting down on a park bench only to find that they were on the seat of a roller coaster. Or the vet, who's trying to get the pulse out of a fluffy old cat, only to find that it's the hat, furry hat. And the dad, who's wanting to do up a cubby for his two princesses, only to find that he's upgraded the dog kennel. And the ending? You should have gone to Specsavers. (laughs) Well, actually, I have a three-yearly reminder to go to Specsavers. And um, I went last year. I like the fact that they check behind their eyes. And when they checked behind mine, they said, yep, everything's fine. You just need a little tweaking with your glasses. So I didn't actually go back for another five months to actually fulfill that prescription. And it got me thinking as to how long I was comfortable to wear glasses that needed altering. But I didn't get around to it. I didn't want to pay the cost. Might not like the frames. Um, so I stayed with the status quo. In the spiritual, it's like the Holy Spirit is our optometrist, and he has a prescription specific for each and every one of us. He knows if there needs to be a major shift in behind our eyes, our vision, or if we just need a bit of tweaking to make our vision clearer. But it's up to us to act on it, to pay the cost involved in the adjustment. At first we might not like the new look, but it will grow on us. You see, we all need to go to Specsavers. We all need to have our spiritual glasses or our lenses altered by God on a regular basis. Our Heavenly Father so wants to give us a new prescription, so wants to alter our lenses, to shift our perspective so that we can see a little clearer, more in focus, so that we can see what he wants us to see through the lenses of love, his eyes. I came across a guy called Jordan J. Gross, he's just 23, he's an entrepreneur, a writer and the editor of a magazine called Struggling Forward. He says he constantly asks himself questions to get answers that will change his behaviour and the behaviour of others. And some of those questions are like, what can I do to make this person's day more memorable? What can I do to make this person's day better than normal? What can I do to make this person's day different than normal? So he asked himself, who would be the group of people who would be the most unhappiest people? He thought about who had the saddest faces, who are out there asking for help, who never smile, and for him, it was the street people, the homeless. So he decided that he'd go out and he'd interview them in August 2018. And he asked them this question, what is the happiest part of your day? And the initial answers were, as you would probably think, when people give me money, when I find clothes, when I find a place to have shelter at night time, when I'm given a cup of coffee or a Big Mac, when I have money to buy alcohol. But by delving deeper, he got different answers. One of them said, I guess I like it when people notice me. Another said, It's nice when people don't act like I'm a rock and walk past without even turning their head. Another one said, When someone else makes me feel human. Yeah, that's the best part. And he summed it up. So you are the happiest when people make you feel seen and heard in a positive way. You are happiest when you are not forgotten. And finally, he heard from each one of them. This will be the happiest moment of my day. Thanks for talking to me. I was wondering about how to go about really seeing somebody. I had the idea that I'd do a 30-day challenge, that I'd start each morning by saying, well, who do you want me to see today? I'm willing. I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. I'm too self-focused, too self-centred, a little introverted. I didn't want to just do good works. There's so many people out in our community doing wonderful works. But I wanted to have the Holy Spirit prompting me. Then it'd be more than good works. It'd be his power, his prompting, and his life transferred. I just needed to be available, to listen, and to be obedient. One of my favorite verses, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his Spirit in Zechariah 4 verse 6. I'm actually not really a person of a lot of words, so I leave that to Ron, my husband. (laughs) But I remembered what Jesus said. He said he only spoke what the Father told him to speak. I find that quite amazing. And it gave me a lot of comfort, because I thought, all I need to do is listen. And I knew I wouldn't always get it right, and I didn't. But I was willing, and I was wanting to actually tune into his voice. So what did I find out in my 30-day challenge? I realised that there were people on my path just waiting to be seen. I realised that as I became obedient, there were so many opportunities that I became on high alert. I was like a wolf. Who can I devour? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> I realised that the response and the outcome was not an indication of success and failure. It just had to be about listening and responding to the prompting. I realised that it wasn't necessarily for the purpose of sowing seeds into people's lives who didn't know God, but it was also meeting the needs of friends and loved ones. And I realised that it was about stopping, stopping my agenda to give time and attention to another. And I realised that it wasn't always about literally seeing a person. Someone's name might drop into my head, and what was I going to do with that? In fact, no, I don't want to say that. (laughs) You know that being a teacher for a long time with littlies and trying to teach them how to write a story, it's not an easy job. But I'd always say to the kids, you're writing for an audience. They don't know what's in your head. You have to get it out. And the best way is to think when, where, what, who, how, why, and think about those things and get that onto the paper. So I quickly want to look at the aspects in relation to really seeing someone. Why? Why should we really look and look again? Well, Jesus calls us to. In Matthew 22, verse 39, he says, Love your neighbour as yourself. Ephesians 2.10 He made us what we are and have given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives Helping others. In Matthew twenty five, thirty five, you know this. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. We live in a world where, where we are becoming progressively isolated. There are so many people and yet we are so alone. Busy lives taken up with work responsibilities and family responsibilities. Expectations that we take on ourselves. Must have, must do, must be, must look. Lives filled and affected by gap fillers. Drink, drugs, food, porn, purchases. Lives dominated by different forms of technology. Just sit in any waiting room or at an airport lounge, and you'll see most eyes are on screens and not at each other. When this is the world we live in, it is so easy for osmosis to take effect. It becomes the norm. So many people in need, and Jesus calls us to be his eyes, to see what he sees. How many times do we sing songs in church that say, break my heart for what breaks yours, or give me the eyes of you, Jesus? We need to move from, liking an idea, from knowing an idea to liking an idea to living the idea. In fact, the Good Samaritan story is essentially this. A scribe, an educated man who knows the law of the Old Testament, but questions Jesus as to who his neighbour is. He is looking to limit his parameters, because he wants nothing to do with foreigners, Romans or Samaritans. Jesus then gives him the the, uh, parable to correct his false understanding of who his neighbour is and what his duty is to his neighbour. So in the story we have a man who's robbed and left half dead. He knows God's law, the the priest as he passes by, but he doesn't fulfil it. He does not show love and compassion. Then we have the Levite who does the same, knows the law, Then we have the Samaritan. We don't know if the injured man is actually a Jew or a Gentile, but race and religion play no part in this man's compassion, love and action. He only saw a person as he fixed the wounds, took him to safety and paid for his rehabilitation. The Samaritan saw his neighbour as the person who was in need. Jesus was drawing the contrast between knowing the law and doing the law. And we are to do likewise. It's about choices. What do we choose to do to show love to those we come across? When and where? When are we called to see, well, on our path, in our community, wherever our feet take us? We all walk different paths, and so we all come across different people. A simple example. I had intended going into Wellington to do some shopping, but at the last minute, I really felt a conviction in my heart to just stay in Upper Hut, Upper Hut. Anyway, (laughs) as I walked past a coffee area, I thought I saw someone I knew, but I kept going, and then I had that second look. I stopped. I made the choice. Yes, I looked around the pillar, and it was her. Now, I was on a mission, I had a time restraint, but I had to make a choice. So I walked over to her table and I sat down. Do you know that that was the first day that she was out on on her own since the death of her husband? And here she was, having a coffee alone. (laughs) I had just lost my granddaughter. And so we sat and we talked, we laughed, we shed a tear. And afterwards she said to me, that was God-ordained. I was blessed and refreshed, and so was I. Hmm. Who, who should we see? Well, who are you? Are you a dad who needs to see their child? Are you a teacher who needs to see the child that's being bullied? Are you an office worker who walks past a homeless person on your way to get your lunch every day? Are you a young mum who sees a sad-looking mum at kindy drop-off? Are you a university student who sees a student who's always on their own? Are we not all people sitting in this church who needs to see the person sitting beside us or the visitor? Our neighbourhood is as wide as the love of God. Who are you going to include? The question is never who is my neighbour, but how can I be a better neighbour? There were many stories told in regard to the mosque shooting in Christchurch, but the one that caught my attention was a woman um, who engaged with a Muslim woman. Jennifer Patterson was coming home from work when she got caught up in the uh, chaos of the shooting, and she saw a young Muslim woman running across the road with a baby in her arms. So she stopped and bundled her into the car and reversed back up the road. She stopped another time to pick up another two women and a young child that had actually been separated from his dad. And they stayed in a cul-de-sac for six hours in the car. As they reunited a few weeks later, the young Muslim woman said, if this lady didn't act like this, I would feel like because I am Muslim, I am different. Maybe everyone hates me. She saw me wearing the hijab, And she knows that I am Muslim, and she helped me. When we think of our neighbours, we need to go beyond race, and colour, and religion, and status, and gender, and socioeconomic, and lifestyle. We had the opportunity to house a man who was out on parole. His appearance was very confronting to me at first. He came with a mohawk, tattoos of guns all over his arms and legs, this was a big assignment but the prompt was there and so the ability came and we grew to love this man as our own. We call him our son even though he's 43. <laughs> Unfortunately his brokenness meant that he had to return to prison. So I thought how was I going to show this man that we still saw him, that he was seen? So I write to him often, I send him magazines, and we visit him in Wanganui prison. He recently graduated from a course that he had done in prison and he asked if we would come to his graduation. What an honor it was to be a part of the ceremony, to have him say in the speech that we were his family and that we loved him more than his own family. You see, it's responding to the prompting and I promise you, you'll know. <laughs> what and how, what can we do when we see. Actually, we know this, it's just love 101. You see, God is so gracious that he provides you with opportunities. He starts you off with small acts of kindness and moments of thoughtfulness. And when you're ready, he'll give you bigger assignments. It's sometimes a bit like mission impossible. Hmm, your mission, Misty, should you choose or decide to accept it. You see, it's in the stopping. It's in the stopping that you can listen, you can talk, you can embrace, you can empathise, you can encourage, and you can pray. And it's in the doing. And in the doing, you can drive someone somewhere and make them a meal, or visit the housebound or sick, or fix a fence for a solo mum, or send a text or a card or money. Whatever goes on the list is whatever has prompted your heart. May God help us all to develop eyes of love so that we can turn on our Zac radars, our Zacchaeus radars, to spot the people on our path and offer them the friendship and grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for looking at us through the eyes of love, compassion, acceptance and forgiveness maybe we be willing to let you alter our sight so that in turn we can see more clearly those whom you put on our everyday path. No matter how weak and inadequate we are, may we be enabled by the power of your spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.